Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to hear the story of Chuck Wood, a movement pioneer based in San Antonio, Texas. He's talking to the No Place Left Conference in Sydney, Australia in May 2015. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I was led to Christ by a navigator and spent 30 years ministering to military with the navigators, both while we were in the Army and then when I retired. And uh, that experience was incredible uh, and a, a very essential element to what we're experiencing now. And um, But in 2010, we were introduced to movements that, that changed the world by Steve Addison. I'm sure you're familiar with Steve. And uh, that book changed my world. And some of the ministry that we had seen up to that point was uh, just incredible. But when I saw what God was doing around the world, I just, I said, he can do that here in the United States too. Um, what he's doing in China, India, Nepal, he can do it here. And so we began to pray and, and read ferociously and so we read everything from Neil Cole to Alan Hirsch to, uh, you know, uh, Steve Addison and Steve Smith, Yang Kai. And so in 2012, we had been trying to piece together movement principles and, uh, it was going okay, but it seemed like, uh, you know, Weird Uncle Chuck was in his basement mixing chemicals and you didn't know whether it was going to be an explosion or something good was going to happen. So anyways, <laughs> we, uh, we kept at it. And in 2000, December of 2012, we read T for T and I really felt like God was saying, do this. Just put everything that you have learned aside and just start over from scratch and do this. And I got to be honest, I was really hesitant about that. I was wondering if it was too many tacos the night before or what, but uh really felt like God was saying, hey, humble yourself and do this. And so uh after a period of time and a couple of uh mornings with Jesus, it would just became very clear that God was saying, I want you to humble yourself and do this. And so in January of 2012, we came back. We were discipling several young people who were in the military. And in, by the way, in November, three of those folks had come up to me and said, we love what you're doing, Chuck. It's so great to know Jesus this way. But we could never do what you're doing. And that is like the stake in the heart of a disciple maker when they tell you they can't reproduce what you're doing. And so when I read T for T, I saw the mechanics that were simple and reproducible and they went back to Jesus's model. 
And so we decided just follow the Holy Spirit's leading and start over from scratch. And so the first three years was really experimentation, trying to figure out, trying to learn, relearn, unlearn a lot of stuff. Uh, but uh, the last two years have really been just aggressively applying uh, the T4T model and more importantly, Jesus's model that we see in the four fields illustration and just going back to the scriptures. Okay, Jesus, what did you do? How do I join you in that? How does it fit in our context? And then uh, we started th- seeing things uh, growing. We started out with, um, uh, our goal was 2020 churches here in San Antonio by 2020. And the first year we needed 16 churches in order to stay on track with the multiplication. And by October we had four. So Deb and I know better than to panic because we've been around Sinai so many times. So we just got on our knees. We took a page out of Ying and Grace Kai's playbook to get on your knees and start praying. And the next week, unbeknownst to us, a college minister was practicing some of the things that I had talked to him about, and I didn't even know it. And he said, oh, yeah, we have 13 groups. So you do the math. Uh, we ended up the year with 17 churches or church starts, really. And so God put us on, on track. Uh, at the end of the second year, uh, we had 80 churches. We needed 32 and, and we had 80. And right now we have, we just updated and now we have 91 uh, churches in the San Antonio area. So really excited about what Jesus had done by just practicing simple reproducible principles, practicing the three thirds process, finding the Timothys, investing deeply in them and uh, just watching him work. So, I gave uh, Steve a mini case study, and I, I don't know if he passed that out or not, but I kind of tongue-in-cheek say the uh, results of our labors, Deb and I, here in San Antonio for the past, past uh, four years, as actually three years. We've been in San Antonio for three, but we've been at this for five. So uh, we have three churches uh, one of five disciples, one of six disciples, and one of ten disciples. But those three churches are responsible for sharing the gospel 1,300 times since February. They're responsible for 151 baptisms in the last two years. They have trained 920 people in T for T. Uh, planning 90 plus churches. We have four 4G trainers in the city, uh, two fourth generation churches. So that means two of those 4G trainers 
are seeing disciples, brand new disciples, leading new disciples to Christ in four generations. Uh, 16, third generation, 35, second generation. And I think we have a bunch more than six first generation churches, but we have 30 unknown generation churches. And this should tell you something about movements. It's super messy. And, and we're trying to herd cats, really, while we're running around the city trying to figure out what Jesus is doing. And then we have 45 failed churches as well. So these are new church starts that we got them rolling, got them pointed towards Jesus, and somewhere along the line, they just kind of melted away. Uh, globally, we have um, uh, trained or influenced or encouraged uh, church planters in 20 different countries. Um, we, we're, on, we're influencing six out of seven continents, and if penguins would listen to the gospel, we'd be on Antarctica too. So, But we haven't convinced them yet. Uh, and we lost track after 300 churches worldwide. Uh, it's just too hard to, to, uh, figure that out now. It's, it's hard to keep track of. Um, Steve asked me to share some major lessons that we've learned. Uh, and I'm just going to go by the fields. Uh, field one, probably the biggest lesson that we learned was be prepared to share the gospel a lot. And when I say a lot, um, I mean several times a week, somewhere between three and five times a week sharing the gospel. We have the church of six. They shared the gospel 150 times in a month. And so we, when it comes to sowing seed, we need to be very aggressive and indiscriminate. Like Ying says, don't choose anyone. You share the gospel with everyone. And so that's a big lesson learned from field one. And be prepared to move physically, too, into the harvest. Deb and I felt like God was calling us to the south side of San Antonio, where it's 99% Hispanic, and people ask us if we're from out of town. So we're on the south side. We just recently led our neighbors to Christ. They were baptized last Saturday, a Hispanic family, whole family came to Christ, and they're sharing their story with their oikos right now. So uh Sometimes God asks you to move into the harvest field to be right there. Uh, field two, um, I guess that's part of field two or field one, but uh, field two, as far as sharing the gospel, um, we have found that knocking on doors, I don't know if this is your context, but here in America, Knocking on doors and praying for people has been by far the most fruitful way to see people come to Christ. I share the gospel almost every day with people at the gym. And if I don't 
share the gospel at the gym. It's at lunch in a restaurant. If it's not there, it's Starbucks in the afternoon. If it's not there, it's a restaurant in the evening. Thousands of times sharing the gospel, but nothing holds a candle to knocking on a door, getting to know your neighbor, and then uh, walking them through stories of hope and then the commands of Christ. And so we're just seeing that as the most fruitful method of evangelism. Um, for field three, um, one of the biggest things is these are not lessons. These are commands of Christ. And you need to treat them like commands, not lessons. And as a community, this is how I express it as a trainer. We as a community, a church of Jesus Christ, want to love and obey him. And we're going to do everything we can as a community to honor and glorify him with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. So we're not going to move on to the next command until we get this command down. It's not, not a punishment. It's not that we're bad people. It's just that we need to get the hang of following Jesus in this particular command. With the house of peace across the street, we had to repeat baptism. Uh, they were doing really good all the way up to the baptism, and they wanted to wait on the oikos to be there which is a tension between immediate baptism and being a witness to their oikos, which thoroughly understood, and that's what we were going to do. But three weeks went by, and the oikos wasn't going to show up anytime soon. So we redid baptism using the Ethiopian eunuch as our story, and they came to this conclusion on their own. We cannot wait for our parents to show up to the baptism. We need to be baptized now. And that was their conclusion based on the story. So that week they got baptized. So we just repeated that command because we had yet to follow it or obey it. And so we don't call them lessons. We call them commands. So that's field three. Field four. Uh, start with identity in the church from the get-go. If you were to listen to Randy's testimony, uh, the couple across the street, in his testimony, the five of us meeting in his home, he calls it church. Not a group, not a missional community, he calls it church. And if you start with that identity up front, it is amazing the level of seriousness and commitment that those brand new disciples of Jesus embrace because they are the church. And so identity as the church, and I'm the parent, the church planter, so the responsibility for identity is on my shoulders, not theirs. Now, when we get to command six, we're going to talk about church and they will self-identify through the process of looking at the scriptures. But it's interesting, they've already self-identified because the parent has uh, imbued that identity upon them. 
and they have received it and they are acting uh, that way. So that's a major lesson learned in field four. The other lesson is Timothy churches. You're probably familiar with that, but pulling. Uh, all right. Uh, Timothy churches is you got these church planters out there with their hair on fire, BDI, fang bearing, foaming at the mouth. They're going after it, right? But, but they, they are out there in the field and they need encouragement and training. So what, and they also need a good example of what church is. And so what we did is we formed a church with our Timothys and we do church together every Wednesday. That has made all the difference in the world. Really, you're training your leadership. It's like a church of elders. And what they learn in that setting, that what we have seen is they immediately reproduce that with their Timothys. And so we're getting much deeper and the DNA is much more potent when we do church with our Timothys. So, and if you think about Jesus, uh, I guess this could be debatable, but Jesus was with his men practicing that missional community and which he called church, you know, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so Jesus is practicing this life on life, living together uh, in his name with him as the head and we as the body. And so everything he did and modeled, they were expected to do. And so pulling together just like Jesus or just like Paul with Timothy's and Silas and, and Luke and all the others, being that church together, even though we're kind of mobile, we're all over the city, we come together and be the church together. And if you have more questions about that, we can answer those in a second. Um, as far as the center of the four fields, our trainers, I think uh, one is just making sure that you have sound DNA up front. If your DNA is not right, uh, when it goes downstream, not only will it dissipate as it goes downstream, but if it's corrupted, then that's what gets passed on. So having knowing what you want up front, the short-term discipleship, having all the components of a healthy DNA, which I call up in and out, love God, love people, make disciples, and the commands of Christ are centered around that healthy DNA. When you start that way, you got a better chance of seeing generations down the line that are healthy. Uh, if you're, if you're not convinced on your DNA or you're not helping the second generation figure out what that DNA is, things get diffused real quick. And then you have to be patient and you have to be relational. Uh, I'm an old army master sergeant, so I can crack the whip pretty good. Uh, there's no, really no place for that in the kingdom. Jesus served us. I need to serve the Timothys that uh, I'm ministering to. And so uh, if you start getting demanding and impatient, 
um, it really just kind of derails the whole thing. For, for me, there's no place for that dictatorial leadership in the kingdom. Jesus, uh, Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So those are the key lessons learned. I want to make sure that we give all glory to Jesus for any kind of success. We'll own the failures. <laughs> That's easy. We know ourselves really well. We also want to thank our mentors, uh, Ying and Grace Kai, Stephen, Laura Smith, um, Jeff and Angie Sundell. We want to just uh, thank Tim and Dave and Phil for their friendship. And I'm praying for Phil every day. And thanks for letting us be a part of what God is doing around the world. So that's all I got. Well, Chuck, let me ask you this. Um, I think it'd be helpful for the group. I mean, you were a navigator. Um, when did you become a navigator? Uh, at birth. At birth, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you told me, uh, we've been together a couple of times, you've mentioned this, there were some, some tweaks, some shifts you had to make uh, in your Navigator experience to going to more T4T multiplication. Would you mind to share some of those with us? Oh, yeah. This, this is important. <laughs> the first one, I was taught out of the gate devotional life. Uh, and then when you get to witnessing somewhere about 10... 12, 15 weeks down the road, so you don't scare the fish away, uh, then you get there. That's not, uh, it's okay, but it's not the stuff of movements. Uh, the stuff of movements is, you. I learned this from Jeff Sundell, let the gospel be the filter. The gospel is the filter for the unbeliever that they receive it and believe and to receive Christ. The gospel is the filter for the believer and that they share the gospel. And you can get people to read their Bible all day long, but if we can't get them into harvest, then we become a self-licking ice cream cone. We're doing nobody any good, just ourselves. So that, that was one thing. The other thing is, this is so important. I don't know if I can state this correct and intense enough, but the church is the vehicle by which Jesus is going to grow the kingdom. And, and it's amazing that when we say we are the church and we will own everything that comes with being the church, there are no longer any loopholes for the laborer or the participant where we can say, I don't have to obey Jesus in that particular area because we are just a Bible study. For years, and I confess this as sin, for years I was teaching that you need to obey three quarters of the Great Commission. But, oh, no, you leave that baptism for clergy. If you're the church and you take the Great Commission seriously, you cannot excuse yourself from that 
a part of the Great Commission. Being a little prophetic here, that's all right. Because if if we cannot help people obey all of Jesus' commands, then we leave these loopholes that we don't have to do that because I'm a parachurch organization. Uh, no such thing, men and women of God. It's the church. And that is a super important uh, understanding that we have got to come to grip to it. Think of what this does for the future leadership of Christianity. When the laborer or the leader or the trainer takes on the responsibility of the church, the priesthood of the believer can now be fully realized. He is released to do everything that Jesus commanded. And they come into full maturity and there is no ceiling on what they can do in order to mature in Christ. But the moment we say, you're just a Bible study, so you can't do X, Y, and Z, not only do you cut the movement off at the knees, but you cut the priest of the believer off at the knees. That's just Chuck Wood. You can burn me at the stake if you can catch me. 